Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Shel Phelps about creating a culture of transparency and trust in organizations. Shell Phelps, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks for having me, Dr. Westover. Thank you, and please call me John. Great, I will do that. It's a, it's a pleasure to have a chance to talk with you today, and we're going to be discussing um, topics that are near and dear to my heart and that I love to discuss. And so anytime I get a chance to talk with someone like you with your expertise and background, it's, it's a true pleasure to, to explore um, human capital related topics. Today we're going to be focusing on leadership, responsibility, trust, uh, and some of those sorts of issues as they relate to leading effective organizations. Um, before we get started though, I want to share Shell's bio with the listeners. Shell Phelps is a SHRM certified human resource director and co-founder of the Fel- of Phelps Strategies where she is a strategic life coach. She holds a master's in counseling psychology and previously ran her own private therapy practice. By day, Shell works at Applied Dynamics International, heading up their human resources department. In her spare time, she focuses on solution-based strategies to help her clients get through life's greatest challenges and live happier, more fulfilled lives with Phelps strategies. She is the author of the popular book, The Big Bliss Blueprint, 100 Little Thoughts to Build Positive Life Changes. Learn more about Shell and her work at www.phelpsconsulting.net. It's a true pleasure to have the chance to talk with you today. Um, And before we get started, anything else that you would like to share by way of background? Well, I just want to first say thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate you doing this podcast. I think uh, people can learn a lot from what you are sharing with others. Um, And I also have um, 20 years experience as a human resources professional. And I have several years as a therapist and, you know, business owner. So I have a lot of diversity to pull from for this topic. So I'm excited to uh, have this interview. Yeah. And anytime uh, I get the chance to talk with someone, you know, with your, uh, amount of experience, 20 plus years as, as an HR um, uh, professional um, in leadership roles is tremendous. And you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of organizations over multiple decades. Uh, and, and I love that you couple your HR experience with your psychology um, background and your work as a therapist. Uh, that's, that's awesome. And I think there's a lot of overlap in terms of skill set and you know necessary abilities to to work with people um you know i it, it's funny it, my fa- i come from a large family um and both my parents and many of my siblings 
the vast majority of my family members are in either social work or psychology, like psychologists, therapists. Uh, and then I'm kind of the oddball. I, I do the HR organizational thing, um, but it's actually more similar than some people might think. Um, we do a lot of the same types of things. <laughs> It really is a big overlap, and I've been asked that several times, like, how would a former therapist want to, you know, get back into HR? And there is a huge overlap, and it's been a huge asset in my career, for sure. Yeah, excellent. Well, good. Thank you for that introduction. Um, So as we get started today, um, I thought maybe we could just start with the basic idea of leadership, um, how you define leadership, and why leadership is a responsibility uh, more than just a formal title, more than just, you know, a uh, formal position in an organizational structure, more than, you know, the, the uh, power and prestige that might come along with that kind of a position. Why should we view leadership as a responsibility? It's a great question. And I think if you want organizational effectiveness, you have to have strong leadership. And through strong leadership, I view it not just a title, but it is a huge responsibility to be in that role. I mean, you have to lead with boldness. Um, You have to lead by example. You have to encourage your employees through positive reinforcement when they are doing something well. You want to let them know they are doing well. If not, we take for granted that they know. They don't always know. Employees don't always know if they're doing something right or wrong. I think that we have, as leadership roles, we have to allow our employees to make mistakes because those times are when we learn the most. And then a leadership role should actually swoop in and actually have those opportunities to coach their employees, be a mentor, you know, not just uh, adopt your role as a leadership, you know, personnel, but you have to get buy-in from your employees So when you do that, you have a more cohesive company and everybody becomes more effective because everybody wants to win and be good at what they do. Yeah, great, great insights. Um, And and I, you know, my approach to leadership really centers around the idea of servant leadership, which I think connects really well with what you were just talking about in the sense of responsibility as a leader. I think one framing of leadership is hierarchical, right? And you have uh, someone who's, who's above other people and they tell you what to do and you do it. And uh, it's, it's all about power, position, um, and those sorts of things. And there's kind of a, a, you know, perhaps even an expectation, kind of an entitlement um, towards, you know, trust and respect and people just do what you say. Um, I don't think that's how you, leadership usually works and certainly not successful leadership. So successful leadership requires you to put yourself in the shoes of the people you lead. Um, so whether you call it servant leadership or you just call it, you know, uh, uh, rubbing shoulders, you know, with, with the frontline workers and just, you know, keeping real with, with uh, what is happening, there's that sense of real responsibility that has to be in place that you, you're not entitled to trust, respect, whatever. You have to earn it. And you earn it by developing relationships with your people, by supporting them, by empowering them, by helping them to be successful. And when they're successful, they will help you be successful. 
You know, that's a very valid point because I think that the way I view it is if you want uh, a good company culture, you build trust. And the way you do that is just like what you said is you have to earn it, you know, in both ways, you know, as a leadership role and as employee, you have to come together and you have to trust each other. And then when you have that trust that you have to be transparent, you know, you can't have hidden agendas, you know, that the employee doesn't know or that the leader doesn't know. So you, I think transparency is a really good indicator of building that trust. And when you have trust in your um, relationships, professional relationships, even it builds, you know, like it builds retention inside the company. And when you build retention, you also have, that's how you build a good company culture, which as you probably know, it takes years to transform or to, you know, sustain culture. You have to have all these elements cohesively to, you know, to be powerful and effective, you know, as an organization and as in a leadership role. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And so I guess the question is, if transparency leads to all these positive outcomes, which it does, and there's plenty of research to demonstrate that and plenty, plenty of practical experience just between you and I, and I think anyone who's worked in organizations, you know that when there's greater transparency, there's greater levels of trust. But developing that culture of transparency to then drive trust and, and better retention outcomes and performance outcomes, that can be really difficult, particularly in an organization that historically has been very closed um, and very you know, close to the vest in terms of holding their cards and not, not wanting to be transparent. And many leaders' style is exactly that, to hold their cards close to their vest. They don't want people to know because they control. They have control. They have the power if they um, control the information. Uh, that's kind of the view. And it's, it's interesting to me because, again, there's so much research that demonstrates that greater transparency will lead to these other really positive outcomes. So what would you suggest to a leader, perhaps, who has that, that um, style, of, of a little bit more protection of information um, or you know an organization as a whole that has that culture how do they start to shift in a positive direction towards greater transparency greater trust it's, it's a great question I worked for a company a few years ago well several years ago that had this you know essentially the same problem they believed in they ruin with iron fist, you do what you say, what you do, what you're told, and that has been historically the way they've done business for years. So what we um, implemented is having leadership trainings and showing how role playing reverse the roles and have the leaders play an employee role and vice versa, and how it makes the leadership go into that training mode, you know, absorb the other person's role and how would you feel if somebody just told you, well, you just have to do this because, and when you get buy-in from employees, you get way more out of their performance objectives and you meet company expectations, you know, more substantially if you get buy-in from your employees and they know why you're making these decisions, why we're doing these things, why we're going in this direction. I mean, there's just, like you said, there's so much research that supports it, but Starting at the top, leadership trainings and having even those monthly interactive, you know, sessions where we, we did some one-on-one -on -one sessions with leaders who were really struggling to, to buy into this transparency um, strategy. 
and then we do get together with groups of leaders to make sure that everybody's kind of on the same page and what their experiences are. It was actually beneficial to just, you know, open that door of enlightenment to, to get the leadership buy-in. And then it just seems to disintegrate all the way down. And then, you know, culture charts, it starts to transform in that direction. Yeah, I think, you know, anytime it's possible to get um, buy-in, you know, from the top down, uh, that's, that's really, really helpful. Um, unfortunately, we're not always in a position, you know, to, to do that. And especially, you know, as, as a 20 year HR professional, you know, you're, you're often in your, you know, ideally an organization will have a CHRO person elevated to the boardroom, you know, where they're in those C-suite meetings to, to help, you know, inform those discussions and encourage this type of transparency. But a lot of organizations uh, the HR, uh, that the lead HR role is actually a few rungs down. And I don't know what your experience has been where you've been at in the org chart, but if you're a few rungs down and you're trying to drive these types of discussions and you don't have a C-suite leadership that really believes in it or buys into it, uh, any thoughts on how, you know, how to start moving that needle? Uh, you mentioned training and I think anytime we can do training, uh, that's good. Uh, but we have to convince them that the training is necessary and we have to, um, you know, help persuade that maybe this movement towards more transparency is actually going to be more beneficial in the long run. You're absolutely right. I've been in many different HR roles and I've been in smaller companies, mid-sized mid companies and larger companies. So each one of them had their own obstacles with this, you know, culture shift of buy-in of, you know, being transparent. So one of the things that I started a few years ago is you find some leaders who are willing to listen to you and you build those relationships by encouraging those relationships with your leaders that who have that more open-mindedness and they watch the transformation of their teams flourish, then it comes becomes more of a competition, so to speak, and internally. Um, sometimes it can be a healthy competition where it's like, oh, wow, this department's really doing well and they're, you know, seeing these changes. Hmm, maybe there's something to this transparency strategy that I want, I should try. So sometimes when you get a few leaders who are willing to buy into it, it does kind of become contagious and spread. You know, that's, I think that's why changing culture takes so long because we have so many different personalities and so many different belief system. It is a huge obstacle and it's a real issue in many companies. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So what I hear you saying, and, and this has been my experience as well, is that we have to start building a coalition of the willing, right? Um, because, you know, again, in the ideal situation, you bring in that that really charismatic CEO who's going to drive culture and it's going to they're going to build trust and transparency and engagement in the organization. But, you know, the board of directors doesn't always bring in people like that um, and they, they have their own priorities. And so so over time though you can start to build a coalition now just because people are willing doesn't mean that they know how to do it or that they're um you know that they have a lot of experience being more transparent building trust building relationships within the organization but at least they're willing and uh, the more people you get 
in your coalition who are willing and have some form of influence, like you said, sometimes it's in the form of competition, some, you know, whatever. But as soon as you can start to have these discussions percolate, whether it's truly a grassroots type of a thing or kind of middle management coalition that starts to push it up, whatever it looks like, or maybe you get, a, you know, one or two key people in the C-suite that are willing to be advocates um, in the boardroom, in the, um, in those, those meetings, uh, whatever you can do, you start to build that coalition. And the reality is, I mean, it's really, as I say the word coalition, I recognize we're in a presidential year and people are talking about uh, building uh, coalitions of voters and, and uh, in a political sense, but it's really kind of the same thing in organizations. And organizations have um, a lot of politics, just like we see out in society at large. And just because you have a good idea, just because you have all the data to support you and the research to support you doesn't mean that people are going to jump on board. You have to do the hard work of building, you know, those coalitions. And that just takes time. That takes a lot of concerted energy to really maintain and sustain it. Um, but it's worth it because if you can shift an organization, you know, from one that doesn't trust its employees to share information to one that's more transparent, uh, employees will reciprocate, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of level of trust and treating them like an adult and, you know, not, not assuming that they're not, you know, I, I think a lot of times the assumption behind not sharing more information with employees is, well, they won't get it. They won't understand the context. They won't, you know, whatever. And, and yeah, that can happen, but if, if they don't get it and they don't understand the context, and that probably means you're not doing a very good job explaining it and communicating it, which means you have more work to do. Uh, it's, so it's not necessarily the employee's fault, especially in a culture where they're not used to it. And they're, you know, they, they expect to be spoon fed everything. Um, it, it's right. When uh, a different company I worked for, what I tried to do is have luncheons. I would do maybe once every month, I would have like a luncheon on their own lunchtime. It was voluntary. Come join me you know, let's talk about the issues, you know, offline. And I tried not to have the C-suite in these meetings so we could talk about some of the issues that were going on inside the company. Then I would have a, another meeting, lunch meeting with the C-suite and then try to bring commonalities together um, eventually to have the big form of we can all talk about these issues. And it seemed to work because then it was voluntary and then you, it, there was a forced conversations and it seemed to get more forthcoming information to they wanted it to be better and then we were able to find common um, strings of what's going right what's going wrong and it seemed to really catapult um, an awareness within the culture and then with the company and I think that it really went well yeah I love I love that example and you know I think anytime we can we can we can set the example for others and have create those opportunities for open dialogue. It's it's helpful. Um, so I hope I hope that anyone listening, you know, if you, if you're in an organization that tends to be a little bit more um, closed, um, I, you know, I encourage you to just look into the research a little bit um, and and try simple little things. Start. You don't have to go whole hog right out of the gate. Um, you know, you can, you can start to make incremental changes and improvements and feel it out, you know, help, help uh, transition your employees so they get more used to it and, and see 
how they respond, and then that'll give you a better sense of how you're communicating and how you can do it more effectively. Um, something related to what all of this that we've been discussing, I think, kind of comes back to the overall leadership paradigm and the types of mind, leadership mindsets that different um, leaders have. Uh, and I think about leaders who are, who are more theory X type leaders versus more theory Y type leaders, or leaders who are more controlling, more micromanaging versus those who are more, who let, allow their employees more autonomy um, and are more empowerment oriented. Another way of looking at it is leaders that are more fear-based uh, versus leaders who um, you know, are more about the intrinsic motivators and trying to help um, their employees to have meaningful work and feel fulfillment through their work. Um, something I know you talk a lot about is um, how leaders you know, who encourage versus leaders who discourage those around them. Um, so I'm wondering, like, what, why is that important? Why, why should we try to be a leader who uses encouragement rather than discouragement how does that map back to like theory X, theory Y, or fear-based leadership versus um, more empowerment type of leadership? Well, that's a great question. So when leaders encourage your employees, you're more apt to get a higher performance out of your employee. They're going to say, oh, wow, they noticed something that I did well, or even if they didn't do something well, they're encouraged them the employee to do better. I call them do better conversations, which I think are really important. And if people are, are aware that the goal is for you to do better, they're not looking to discipline you. They're not looking to, you know, write you up or have a, a black mark on your record, so to speak. I hear that a lot from an HR perspective. When people are encouraged, they actually perform higher. They actually look to get those accolades. They want to perform well for their boss. And you know, as you know, like we are human beings and we want to, you know, do well in our jobs. That's why we got the job in the first place. So if we do well and we get the acknowledgements that we think we deserve, you're always going to be looking to strive to do better and better and better. The outcomes for the whole company, if people adopt that philosophy, are way better outcomes and people who are discouraged and they tend to leave their jobs because they're not with a leader who is encouraging them. They're someone with who is discouraging them, which can be very detrimental to the organization as a whole. Great thoughts. Um, and again, I, I think coming back to these fundamentally different types of paradigms, uh, a lot of leaders who lead from a more fear-based or a discouragement-based um, approach, I don't even think they necessarily think that's the best way, but that's the only way they know. And a lot of times they haven't had much training in terms of how to be effective leaders. And so they try to mimic what they've seen in their in the past. And you know, they've had leaders like that, and so they figure that's the best way to lead. And as they've been successful in their career and they've moved up and they've had the opportunity to take on more responsibility and move into leadership roles themselves, they figure, well, I, I must be doing it right because I've been promoted and I'm in, in a higher level now. Uh, and so sometimes it can be hard to disrupt that framing and that paradigm, even if the person would be open to it. You know, they're not necessarily completely dead set on being a fear-based leader, but that's, that's all they know. That's all they have experience. That's all they know how to do. Um, and so just helping 
helping people to recognize and understand that there is another way and then giving them a chance to practice another way, even if it's just step by step, I think can be really powerful and really important. Um, I, I was once in a leadership meeting and I was actually shocked because the, the executive said to the group, he actually said um, that we don't use fear enough in motivating our employees. Fear-based motivation is the most powerful form of motivation. And I'm thinking, whoa, like what in the world? I mean, fear-based leadership, fear-based motivation can get compliance in the short term. And it's, I, I will grant it, it's, it's easier in the short term. Like you can just give an edict and expect people to comply. And if they're worried about losing their job or whatever, you'll get people to do what you want them to do. But that's not going to be a safe, uh, healthy culture or environment. And that's not going to be one where you're going to foster commitment over time. It's, and it's simply unsustainable. Um, so it's, it may be easier in the short run, but in the long run, it's not going to be because you're going to be, um, you're going to have higher levels of turnover. You're going to have all sorts of performance issues and people who are scared to try to innovate and be creative in any way. Um, so yeah, I mean, as much as people might think that fear-based leadership can be effective, you know, I, I really, really question that. I suppose there could be certain circumstances in a crisis where someone just kind of steps forward and they take the lead and they just tell people what to do. Um, you know, I can understand that there's situations like that, but generally speaking, for most organizations in most circumstances, you want more collaboration, you want more input, you want more transparency, you have to develop relationships and you can't just expect people to just endlessly follow you without knowing why they're doing what they're doing. That's exactly right. Like when you build relationships, it's not one size fits all statements. You have to adapt to your audience. So with when you're a leader, you know, just because you tell one employee, this is what you should do. And in a way that they, you think that they hear you well, they might not be receptive. And you don't know that because if you're leading by fear, you're not going to get any feedback. If you have an open door communication philosophy and knowing your audience and knowing your employees, really engaging with them, you're going to get feedback. And as a true leader, you want feedback because that's how you improve. So I think that's a very good point that you raised because I have seen companies that are ruled by fear. Their turnover rate was so high that it was just, I was always hiring, always hiring. We never had the sustainability. We could never, you know, go to new places and do new things because we were always training people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Shell, this has been a really fun and fascinating discussion. I appreciate all of your insights, all of your wisdom that you shared with me and with the listeners. Um, we're about out of time, but before we close up, uh, I do want to give you a chance to share with the listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about what you're doing in, in your um, business. Oh, thank you. So yeah, I, um, as you mentioned before, I just published my first book, um, The Big Bliss Blueprint. And there's a lot of sections in this book that relate to building relationships, decision making, goal setting, you know, really look at communication as well. So if you're interested, you they can reach out and uh, they could go to my website at uh, phelpsconsulting.net and there um, you can buy my book right on the website. Um, you can find me on Instagram on Phelps Strategies. You can find me at LinkedIn on at Shell Phelps. I'm also on um, Instagram 
at Shell Phelps. And I would love to hear from you if you anybody wants to give me some feedback from um, what to look for or maybe some strategies to help you. You're more than welcome to email me at uh, phelpsstrategies at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Thank you so much. It really truly has been a pleasure. I encourage my listeners to reach out, get connected and see what Shell can do for you. And I hope everyone stays healthy and safe. Have a wonderful week and be happy and productive at work. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.